Hey there, welcome back to this week's episode of the Seatown Podcast, where Seattle business owners, entrepreneurs, and community leaders are invited on to share their stories with us. I'm your host, Christian Harris. This week's episode of the Seatown Podcast is brought to you by Seatown Real Estate. Their mission to make a difference extends beyond just their unique and unconventional approach with their clients and their agents. They partner with the community to give back a percentage of the proceeds from each home sale to a local nonprofit of their client's choice. Visit seatown.com, S-E-A-town.com, and experience the difference with Seatown Real Estate today. Hello. 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 Welcome to uh, next episode of the Seatown Podcast. We are doing something a little different today. We're going live. So uh, hello to all of you out there. We are joined today by, uh, by Phil Tavel, who is running for Seattle City Council District 1. Yes. Thanks for joining us today, Phil. My pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah, so I thought this would be a good opportunity to kind of dig into your backstory a little bit, kind of, you know, the, what's going on in, in local politics. Perfect. Um, you know, how <laughs> Quite a lot. Right. How have you managed to get the uh, the West Seattle Business District, you know, uh, community behind you so well and, and whatnot. So um, maybe start with the obvious, you know, what, why are you running for city council? I mean, the simple reason for that is Seattle can do better. It can do, in my opinion, a lot better. You know, I ran uh, four years ago for city council and that was an interesting race and I finished third in that race and I've just kept getting more active in my community since then and I have literally not seen much get better in this city. You know, when I think about it, a lot of the things that we talked about or almost everything we talked about back in 2015 it's still it's still there right now and those problems have not gotten any better so sure. it's time to get some change it's time to bring a voice of moderation a little bit of common sense and uh, that's why I'm here okay now it seems like uh, I mean pretty early on in in the race you know where you've got a lot of uh, community people behind you a lot of businesses behind you uh, what, what do you kind of chalk that up to kind of the initial uh, good following you know I mean the, the biggest thing is the fact that they are dissatisfied with what they get um, specifically the business community here in West Seattle and in South Park just don't feel supported uh, they don't feel like they're being listened to you know when issues come up for you know things like the business licensing fee or whatever the things whatever things are happening in terms like Avalon right now with all the construction going on down there right. you know the city this happened and the businesses down there I mean the shack and Avalon glass and uh, Luna Park Cafe they've all been hit pretty hard by that and yeah. you know uh, a call for assistance really didn't come from the council to them until after things had started yeah. and there had been a planning process for a long time so it's really that they want a voice that listens to them that understands owning a business because not a single person on council has ever owned a business before right. um, and you know the holistic nature of that that you know costs bump into each other mm -hmm. and it's tough and that if you own a business you're not rich yeah. you know you, you have the equity of that business which is fantastic but you know there are times and I've experienced this myself as a business owner where you pay payroll and you don't get paid yeah. and that can be tough so yeah so they just want someone who can listen to them who's open and who's accessible and available and in the community all the time every day sure now that that's i mean it, it sounds like there's you know definitely room for that uh you know <laughs> owning a business myself you know with the c-town real estate uh and being on the the west yale chamber board you know like the head tax was was a big deal. There's a lot of debate around that. So there definitely was, was, you know, complaints of uh, kind of a disconnect between our yes. representatives and what was actually the community members and the business owners, you know, wanted. Um, yeah. And it was from you know what I saw, it was it was definitely, uh, you know, ironically or whatever, you know, uh, 
politicized to right. basically be, oh, you know, you don't want the head tax. Why do you hate the homeless people? And why right. do you love Amazon getting billion dollar tax? You know, like yeah. they're, you know, Amazon's <clears throat> one of the, you know, 600 and some businesses, right. small businesses, you know, yeah. in Seattle that would have been affected. So, oh gosh, yes. I mean, it was, you know, it was a plan that was going to hit 585 businesses mm-hmm. and they, you know, from what I hear from the, uh, the task force that they empowered to take a look at the issue, um, you know, they picked a number of $20 million a year gross or more. Mm-hmm. And that there wasn't a whole lot of necessary reasoning behind where that number came from. Sure. Um, and so to that extent, you end up having businesses like seafood and produce distributorships mm-hmm. were working on an, a narrow margin. And so that head tax would have been passed on to all of us that sure. go to restaurants. You know, there's a rehab hospital in West Seattle that, you know, talked to council about the fact that we don't operate on a you know strong profit margin here. This head tax will put us from the black to the red. Yeah. You know, and you know, grocery stores like Wajamaya, you know, sure. the number of people that they employ. And so you get this thing where making $20 million seems like a lot, but if you talk about gross as opposed to net, there's a real difference. And sure. I think that's also one of the places where the council doesn't understand the business side enough. It's why don't we take a look at people where the net profits are higher? And if you wanted to pick companies that were having tremendous profit margins and look to them, but still, I don't see why you don't go to them and ask them first to participate in helping be a part of the fix, sure. as opposed to saying, you're going to be part of the fix and right. we're going to make it happen. Right. Yeah, yeah, and there, and there definitely seem to be kind of a, a, a disconnect in the sense of, um, you know, the there wasn't a lot of conversation, you know, around that. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, you know, as a business owner, you understand that, like, on paper, the gross may be impressive, but what you're actually taking home, you know, you may not even be in the black. Yeah. You know, what, I mean, what's your what's your experience with, with business? Um, uh, so uh, I had a, I actually had a baseball card in a comic book shop long, long time ago. Okay. Um, and then uh, actually, I mean, that was obviously pretty small, but, you know, it was my first foray into it. Sure. Um, out here, actually, I started a video game company uh, down in Pioneer Square. And we, uh, at one point at our height, we had about 30 employees. Mm-hmm. We were there for a couple of years. And, you know... That was that was a real eye opener about all the different things that go into running a business and payroll and everything. And then when I lived in Australia, I actually had a games and collectibles store down there, which when I opened it was actually the largest one in all of Australia. Okay, um, we could seat over three hundred people for you know the Pokemon Nationals and Yu Gi Oh Nationals. Uh-huh. Um, but again, just understanding what paying payroll means, what you know, what your profit margin on your products need to be, and just all of the expenses that go into day-to-day operation of a business and supporting other people. Sure. Yeah, and how, how lean, you know, those businesses often are. I mean, it's not uncommon to hear about, you know, the owner of a business making less than most of their employees because you get paid less as the owner, you know? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, you have the benefit of, of generating equity in your business, but that doesn't mean day-to-day and year-to-year right. you're seeing that. And I know a lot of people, especially in the restaurant industry and also, like, like right now in Seattle, it's hard and Seattle makes it really difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, I know someone, a couple of people around here, when they've opened a second place to try to, you know, increase that livability of it, they're going to Burien. They're mm-hmm. going to White Center because, you know, they find that there is a much friendlier environment to open their business. Right. I, I know half a dozen business owners that have done that. You know, I've talked to some businesses, you know, on the east side, which is, you know, where I grew up. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, when are you guys come to Seattle? They're like, we're not coming to Seattle. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> exactly. Actually, there was a really 
really funny story last year uh, at the awards for the West Siders of the Year. Uh, the person that had won the award for the new business of the year, uh, he actually thanked council very much for their work. Because of what they had done, he opened his second business in Burien, and it's gone much better. Nice. <laughs> a little tongue-in-cheek. Uh, just, just a little, a little, yeah, a little, a little jab. <clears throat> that's, that's pretty funny. Um, so, I mean, it sounds like you got pretty extensive you know, background uh, in a lot of different things, you know, from yes. business um, to now you know, looking at kind of the uh, public service you know, arena. What's um, kind of two, two questions? You mean, how long have you been here in West Seattle? And then... Uh, well, then I'll ask a follow-up question to that. Yeah. Uh, moved here 21 years ago. Okay. Uh, it was actually a friend of mine who I went to college and law school with had just moved here. He uh, lived down next to La Rustica, right mm-hmm. on the water. And I was living in New York City at the time, you know, where my only access to sunlight from my apartment was like looking out one window and <laughs> kind of up I could see blue. Right. And when I came and visited him here, it was just awesome. Mm-hmm. I just fell in love with everything about it. I mean, just beautiful and the people and the places, you know, the parks. And so I literally finished my last law school exam, loaded up a rider truck with two of my friends, dropped one off in Minneapolis, mm-hmm. one off in Redmond, and I ended up living behind Sunfish down at Alki. Okay, nice. Um, and yeah, and in fact, since then, my grandmother moved out here and lived her last few years of life at uh, Merrill Gardens here in the Admiral Junction yeah. and loved it. And my parents live out here now and had my son here. And so, yeah, so this is my home. That's awesome. Um, I mean, on top of that, it sounds like you've been pretty involved in the community and civic organizations uh, for for some time. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. No. So I'm uh, currently the vice president of the Morgan Community Association. Okay. Um, I'm also on the board that runs the Morgan Junction Festival, which is this coming Saturday, actually, mm-hmm. in the Morgan Junction Park Good from, plug. from 10 to 2. Okay. Uh, please come out. And the date on that is going to be... 22nd, June 22nd, Saturday 22nd from 10 to 2. Um, I am also on the board of directors of Allied Arts, which is actually Seattle's oldest civic organization. Um, They were the ones responsible for really saving the Pike Place Market and Pioneer Square and the theaters downtown. Um, I'm the vice president of the board there and really love that. It's an amazing group of people to work with. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm also on the board of directors of the Seattle Green Spaces Coalition, which is here in West Seattle, an incredible group of people um, fighting for trees and open spaces and just some equity along those lines. And and then my trivia night that I have at Talarico is I do a lot of fundraising for like West Seattle Helpline, West Side Baby, um, also for the YMCA's after school children's program. Okay, so you you head up that uh, trivia night? I do, in fact. Just recently, I had my, it's scary, but my five, my 500th trivia night there, because uh, wow. I started it back in 2008. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's, so, I mean, that, that's a lot of involvement. I mean, how do you have time to uh, do all that? Plus, I mean, I assume you do a job that actually pays your money, and now you're running for city council? Yes. Yeah. You know, not enough money. I've been primarily over the last 15 years, I've been a public defender. uh, And it's definitely true that public defenders are typically overworked and underpaid. Um, For the last couple of years, I worked uh, with a law firm that was situated up in Bellingham. I was kind of their Seattle office as their felony trial attorney. Um, So the nice part about being a trial lawyer is it's not a nine to five job. So you show up in court when you need to be in court. You can do a lot of work at night. A lot of work is over the phone and email. But I got to say, having a seven-year-old and having a family here and doing the civic things Mm. and running for office and having the day job, yes, it is definitely a grind. (laughs) Yeah, I'd I'd imagine. So, um, I mean, maybe you can expand a little bit more on you know, kind of your, your platform and, yeah. you know, and why you think, um, and why a lot of people think, you know, there needs to be, you know, a, uh, 
a sea change in right. the Seattle uh, City Council. Oh, yeah. I mean, so first and foremost, I mean, we do just need change. I mean, the fact is, you know, every four years, the whole point of the election is you take a look at what is the trajectory of the city, where is it going, mm -hmm. and we're heading in the wrong direction. Yeah. So to that extent, we need something new. And, you know, the three fundamental things that I want to change that aren't policies are, one, just listening better to all of the people of Seattle. Mm -hmm. um, as I go around West Seattle and around the city in general, I find there are a lot of people that feel they are shut out from the process, that there is a strong vocal minority in this city that just shouts down other people. And so you're only saying that because that's what happens in city council uh, public public meetings. Yes, yes, I'm saying that because that's what I watch happen at city hall. Yeah, um, ridiculous. Yes, when you know people go to uh, to you know give their time to talk about something and they just get the chanting and the yelling and the 1 minute clock or the 2 minute clock shuts off and you're done. Um, so yeah, so we got to do a better job listening to everybody and that's also finding ways to go out into the community. And listening to the people who don't normally get heard because they just don't feel like they'll ever be heard. Sure. Um, the next thing is understanding, I think, our budget much better and where are our taxpayer dollars going. Mm -hmm. Because I don't feel, and I know from talking to a lot of people, they feel the same way, that we pay a lot. I mean, we're generating tremendous tax revenue. I mean, a $5.9 billion budget in this city, but I don't feel like we know what are the deliverables. And sure. clearly, since things continue to get worse, we're not spending it well. Mm -hmm. So you got to understand that. And then the last thing is really working collaboratively. You know, like like we sort of talked with the head tax and things there, that, you know, that was a situation where the city just went out and said, we're going to do this, as opposed to talking to some of the biggest business in town and saying, look, we have a problem. We need money. How do we work together to find a win-win sure. and solve the problems? Right. So How those are the three fundamental things that I think need to change because the homeless situation is one that's multifaceted. And if we don't do those things properly, we aren't going to fix it. Sure. Um, I mean, it's pretty clear that things aren't working, you know, things getting worse and yeah. spending, you know, millions of dollars, you know, uh, on a problem that's that's not getting better. No. Um, how would you contrast kind of what, I mean, I don't even know if there is an actual strategy. It just seems like kind of throwing money at things. But yeah. How would you contrast kind of what uh, the current policy and direction is versus what you think could, uh, you, know, could you know, if you get voted in, you know, yeah. what you'd be advocating for? Well, I think one of the things is, as I've learned over the last few months, is how much there is bureaucracy and politics that are getting in the way of things just being effectively done. Mm -hmm. um, and so to that extent, like there's something called the MDARs, the Multi-Departmental Administrative Rules. And they set out functioning for one of the things specifically is how the police interact with different people if you're if you're in a tent encampment or if you're an RV okay. or you on a sidewalk or you on the road or you in a park and it lays out like which city department is associated with which area and the police actually have to call and find out and get permission before they can do things and so mm -hmm. As I've seen and talked to a lot of people, I also sit on the Southwest Precinct Advisory Council for uh, for the police here, and you know what I hear from them and the police that are on the ground is from week to week they don't necessarily know what they're allowed to do, how far can they go, sure. can they ticket a an RV and move it along, and so speeding that stuff up, just like moving that stuff out of the way so the police can do their job, sure. enforce the laws of the city for everybody. Yeah. I mean, fairly and equitably with transparency and accountability, mm -hmm. but enforce them. Right. You know, So if you break the law, you have a consequence. Because if we go down that path of saying that you can break the law without the consequence, 
we start ending up where we are now. And then the flip side is you've got to have the services in place that are doing an effective job of helping people so that you're moving people from, you know, from temporary housing to permanent housing. People who have substance abuse or mental health issues are actually getting the help they need, you know, that there's vocational training, that there's a pathway to something better than what's happening right now. And so it's that balance between, you know, you really can't just keep enabling it to happen. You need to have better answers, but at the same time, You've got to enforce the laws and the rules because everybody's got to live by them. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you've got you know a pretty clear idea of you know what uh, you know what some of the 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 pain points are and what's not what's not working. You know, it's from you know my exposure and talking with uh, you know police officers and stuff, a lot of friends and Mm -hmm. and uh, and going to some of these uh, like chamber uh, downtown chamber you know events and kind of you know hearing about. the on-the-ground truth from you know some of the larger nonprofits in the area that are yep. doing work with it. You know, it sounds like one of the the, the downfalls of right now is that um, the city of Seattle is kind of looking at it as a homeless problem is a housing problem, and right. that's what they're focused on. So they're like, we just need to build housing, yeah. and they're ignoring partnering with these organizations that are getting some real good, uh, real good results yeah. with you know the you know combination of helping people get clean and then right. working on their resumes and getting them into yeah. housing, getting them into community, you know, right. um, versus you have a house, good luck, and why, why, why isn't this working? Why aren't they staying in their housing? I don't understand. You yeah. Know? Um, kind of over, oversimplified, you know, view of things. So it sounds yeah. like partnering with the community and nonprofits is really, you know, a, a key thing. I was yeah. talking with uh, UGM, Union Gospel Missions, oh, uh, yeah. last uh uh, executive director, you know, okay. Jeff. Um, right. I don't, I don't recall, recall who the current one is. Um, but anyway, you know, he was, he kind of broke it down, you know, on a, on a side note. He's basically like, hey, this is a, this is a relationship problem. Yeah. He's like, there's way more of us, you right. know, functioning people in society yeah. uh, that can come alongside these people, these organizations, you know, and, yeah. and help, you know, if, we, if we're not just saying, all right, government, here's my taxpayer money, take yeah. care of the housing problem. Right. Yeah, it's, I mean, look, housing is, is part of it. it I mean, certainly, it, yeah. you know, any of us who have, you know, recently changed houses and are paying rent, you know, yeah. realize there is an affordability crisis. Yeah. And, you know, there's all sorts of things leading into that. And we do need to build more. Um, and we need to find ways to keep the current affordable housing stock there without tearing it down. Because sure. you don't build new things and make them cheaper, you know. But that's why I'm saying it's this problem where you have to address housing. Mm-hmm. You have to address the opioid crisis and how that's played into the substance abuse issues. You have to address un, you know, undiagnosed and untreated mental health illnesses. You know, people that where the problem is just a job. You know, that that's the thing that's keeping them from being able to stay in a house and work with them on training through unions, through places like Fair Start. Yeah. So it's, you know, like Union Gospel Mission, Mary's Place, DESC. There are people out there and there are groups that are doing an amazing job. Right. We just need to identify the most effective ones and get more money to them exactly. and identify the ones that really aren't being effective and stop pouring money in those holes. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, kind of speaking on on the uh, affordable housing, you know, front. Um, how do you think the you know MHA policy? I mean, does that seem to be like it's pretty effective, or um, I, it, I, for our listeners who may not be yeah, aware of what, so, what that is? So yeah, so MHA is the mandatory mandatory housing affordability 
Upzone, and it's part of HALA, the Housing Affordability and Livability Agenda. It was one of the ways of getting more affordable housing stock. And the idea is we upzone the urban villages so that people can build and build bigger. Um, and that when you build, the developers will either have an option of putting in a certain percentage of units into that new building that are quote unquote affordable based on you know median income and things like that which leads to a whole nother issue of who's defining affordable. Right. Um, and then if you don't do that, you pay an in lieu of fee into a pot that can be used for not-for-profit development of affordable housing. Mm -hmm. However, the two huge problems there are, number one, the fee, the in lieu of fee is too low. That you know, most of the developers that I've talked to are going to pay the fee yep. because there's just no point not to. Because there's also an annual review process for financial eligibility for the affordable housing that are in those units. Mm -hmm. So it's just easier to pay the fee. Sure. So that's fine, but let's increase the fee so we can get more out of it. But the second thing is the money that goes into that pot doesn't have to be spent where the development goes. So for example, let's say the Morgan Junction gets two new huge buildings, there's no affordable housing in it, so the pot you know, gets the fee that's paid, and the development that can go onto the south side of Seattle. And that didn't benefit the community that actually took the new development, so the sure. new housing didn't go there. So those are the two things that need to be fixed. It needs to be a higher fee, and we need to find ways to at least have a sort of right of first refusal where that money stays in that neighborhood and can be used so that neighborhood itself gets the up zone and it gets the affordable housing. Sure, uh, that makes sense. It's a, it's a nuance of, of the MHA that I wasn't aware of, so that's a, that's a, good, that's a good point. Yeah, cool. Um, are, is there anything else you would like to tell our audience uh, before we, we sign off here? So let's see. I mean, just to give a little background, because I, I do think one of the things that's important about politics is bringing people with new experiences into the into the fold. So, you know, I was a high school physics teacher for a while. I, you know, had a video game company. I was down in Australia. I had a store that I ran there. I've been a, a, a national curriculum manager for DeRay University um, and a public defender trial lawyer for the last 15 years. And so I'm really, I'm very capable at understanding very difficult issues and I can take them, synthesize them and hopefully work on good problem solving. I'm a good listener. Uh, and like I said, so much of what we need now is just a calm head in the room. There's too much divisive politics in this town and we need to work on moving past that. So we just, we're just focused on effectively delivering services to the people of the city. Yeah. So my biggest thing is to say to people, when you're voting on August 6th after the ballots drop on July 17th, you know, look at the three of us who are running and just think about the person that you want as part of the nine people controlling a $6 billion budget of this city. Is that person going to listen? Are they capable of doing new things and looking at new answers? And I am. And I'm here. I am always available. You can call me. I mean, my cell phone is listed on my business cards and you can see it on my website and just get a hold of me. So we need that. We need someone who's here, who's listening, and who's got some new ideas to just bring a little bit of moderation back to this whole process. Sure. No, I, I, I agree. I mean, it's the, uh, for what it's worth, I endorse Phil Tapple. Oh, thank <laughs> you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I think it's, it's great. I mean, it, it's, it makes sense. You know, there's too much divisiveness. Um, and I think your, your demeanor and experience will bring a lot to it, you know, versus kind of the queer politician. And right. You're not really sure, like, are they really vested in our community or are they just, you know, using lip service? So, yeah, yeah, uh, there's, exactly. there's a genuineness, I think, that uh, 
that, that you have that uh, I appreciate. So Thank you. I appreciate that yeah. as well. Well, Phil, I appreciate you uh, joining us for uh, another episode of the Seatown Podcast yeah. and our first uh, Facebook Live. So thank you very much. And thanks for listening for those out there. All cool. Right. Thanks, Phil. No problem. That wraps up this week's episode. Make sure to check out our guest website, pay them a visit, and help spread the word about what they are doing. If you have any questions, know someone who should be a guest on here or has a great story worth sharing, email me at christianharris at ctown.com. That's S-E-A-town.com. I would also love it if you would go to iTunes and give us a review and a nice five-star rating. We work hard to bring on great guests and provide exceptional content, and getting a review from you is one way to help the podcast rank well on iTunes so others can find and enjoy the show. You can also find out more about me, how my real estate brokerage is breaking the mold and making a difference in our Seattle communities, and other projects I'm working on by visiting ctown.com, S-E-A-town.com. Thanks for listening. The music for our podcast is courtesy of The Fascination Movement. You can find their albums in the iTunes store. You can also listen to more episodes and find all our show notes on our website at ctownpodcast.com. This has been a Seatown Media Production.